We are born questioners. And if you don't believe that, just spend a little bit of time with any three or four-year-old child and you'll be convinced. Questions like, why is the sky blue? Where do birds come from? How many stars are there? And then, in the case of my grandkids, what happened to your hair? <laughs> why do you have wrinkles? <laughs> and I really don't mind the questions because it shows me that they want to learn. They, they want to understand. And so the thing that I want us to think about today is a question, and that is, is it okay to question God? And I believe the answer to that question is, it depends. It all depends on your motive and your reasoning for the question. Whether you realize it or not, throughout history and throughout the Bible, from Old Testament to New, there is a dialogue going on between humanity and God. We ask questions of God because there's so much that we don't understand, and then God asks questions of us as well. We see it even in the life of Jesus. As he walked this earth, there were many that asked Jesus questions, and Jesus, in turn, asked questions of those that asked questions. So I want us to think about this. God asks, God asks questions of us to make us think. He obviously is all-knowing, so he understands the things that we don't, but he asks us questions to make us think, to make us aware of our actions and our wrongdoings at times, and he also asks questions so that we can think about the options that he's giving us. Now, we, on the other hand, we ask God questions because either we want to understand something better, we want to learn, or many times we ask questions of God because we're looking to excuse our actions or justify ourselves. And we see an example of that in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. After Cain murdered his brother Abel, God asked Cain the question, where is your brother Abel and what have you done? Now God knew, so he wasn't asking because he needed to find out. He wanted to make Cain realize what he'd done. He wanted Cain to think about it. Cain, on the other hand, asked God a question, and it wasn't to learn more. It was to excuse his actions or to justify what he had done. So Cain asked the question, do you remember it? It's a pretty famous one. Am I my brother's keeper? So the motive in Cain's questioning was not good. And so it depends. Is it okay to question God? It really depends on your motive and your reason for questioning. God spoke to his prophet Isaiah, these words, and they're recorded in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. This is a great invitation. God is inviting you and I to use our minds and to think, to reason. He gave you and I a mind to use. So he wants us to think things through. He wants us to use reasoning. And he wants us to exercise faith in him. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The English phrase, reason together, 
uh, that's translated from the original Hebrew there, that Hebrew word jiaka, and it means to reason, it means to plead, it means to argue, not in the sense of antagonistic, but like a debate. So to debate kind of back and forth, to convince, and then ultimately to decide. So God wants us to ask the questions and to reason and to do these things ultimately so that we can make an informed decision as best we can with what we have about God and about what he wants us to do and what our next step should be. There are many people in the Bible that question God, even the great heroes of the faith that we think about in the Old Testament. Moses questioned God, David questioned God, Job questioned God, uh, the prophets. Um, So I wanted to just take a few moments this morning, and let's look at a few examples of those questions. So Jeremiah was one of the prophets, and he questioned God about injustice in the world. We find this in Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Jeremiah writes, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And why do all the faithless live at ease? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have had that question in your mind is, you know, throughout your life? Lord, why, why do you allow wickedness in the world? Why do you allow evil? Don't understand. Why is it that I'm trying to follow you, if you are trying to follow God, I'm trying to follow you, and it seems like I face one struggle after another, and yet I look at other people that don't even believe in you or care about you at all, and they seem to be doing just fine. Why is that? Well, if if you've ever had that thought, you're not alone. One of God's own prophets, Jeremiah, asked the same question. Why do all the faithless live at ease? And then he goes on and he says, You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips but far from their hearts. There's another question sometimes we ask. If you're trying to follow God devotedly and you're struggling but you see others that just kind of you know, they talk about God and they put on a front, but they don't really follow him or they don't really love him. And yet they seem to be doing just fine. And yet you maybe feel like I'm sincerely trying to follow God and I struggle. I don't understand this God. Well, you're not alone because Jeremiah was just one such person who asked God that question. Job is another one that probably most people are familiar with, even if you haven't studied the Bible or read much about it. Job was a man who loved God, followed him, and uh, he went through a severe period of time, over months and a long period of time, where he suffered. First of all, his children were killed, and his property was destroyed either through a series of natural disasters or through uh, raiders that came in and uh, swept through and, and stole his property. And then if that were not enough, after he lost all of his kids and his material possessions, then he himself was stricken with a severe physical illness. Huge sores broke out all over his body. He was in a lot of pain and agony. The scripture says that he got into such a state physically that people like, didn't even really recognize him. They're like, is, is this Job? Is this the same guy that we've known? He was miserable. And in his emotional pain, he cries out, to God, and he says this, it's in Job chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. He was being honest about, he was, he was feeling bitter. I say to God, 
Do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? (laughs) I mean, this is Job talking to God. He's on the verge of blasphemy here. He is accusing God of taking pleasure in punishing him while he just, God just smiles and laughs at all the wicked people and he's just fine with it. But this is how Job felt. He was being honest with his feelings. And God understood that. You see, God is big enough to handle our questions. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get angry because you're questioning. And we need to remember that. So it's okay to question God, again, when you're truly not understanding what is going on and you're trying to. David, who was chosen by God, to, to end up becoming a king in Israel, he questioned God about the times when God seemed silent in Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And this is what you saw in the video uh, just before the message started. How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Have you ever felt that way? Again, don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt like you're going through a tough time, you've prayed, you've asked God, and you feel like you're just getting no answer whatsoever? Just nothing seems to be changing. Well, God understands. And again, these questions are recorded in the scriptures for you and I so that we know that when we go through those times of questioning, we're not alone. And it doesn't necessarily mean we lack faith because these are people of great faith who ask these questions. But when we go through difficult times, emotional pain, physical pain, in our humanity, it does cause us to ask these questions. Joshua questioned God about suffering setbacks while he was doing God's will as he was leading the people into the promised land and God had said that he would give them the victory in Joshua 7, 7. They had, they had suffered a defeat. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Is that what you've done, God? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but sometimes maybe some of you have had that thought. It was like, you know what? It seemed like life was easier before I accepted Jesus or before I became a follower of God. Maybe you've been tempted to walk away from your faith and to go back to the way things used to be. Again, you're not alone. I would encourage you not not to, to do that, but I'm saying the temptation is there. And that's where Joshua, he was like, you know what? Maybe it would have just been better if we just stayed over on the other side of the Jordan and not tried to do this thing. So what circumstances in your life right now are you facing Again, personally, what struggles are you facing that's maybe causing you to question God? Now, obviously, there's the big questions that we all face with the pandemic going on, and and I've thought that, Lord, why? Why are you allowing this pandemic to go on now for more, you know, it's over over a year and a half now, we're, we're into this thing, and just when you think you're coming out of it, then something else happens. Why? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why did... God, why did you allow the tragedy to happen in Afghanistan? Why did you allow the Taliban to come in and and to cause all that suffering and and bring all that pain and to, to kill people? All in the name of religion. 
God, why are you allowing suffering from Hurricane Ida that's still going on in Louisiana? This morning, while we're meeting in a comfortable, air-conditioned building, there are people in Louisiana that still have no power, high humidity, temperatures hitting close to 100 degrees, their homes are wiped away, flooded, they are struggling. God, why? Why are you allowing that? Why is there so much division and turmoil in America? Why do we have to go through all these troubles? I mean, if we're honest, those are some questions that go through our mind and we don't understand. And again, maybe just of a personal nature in your life, I, those were kind of big scale things, but what's going on in your life? Maybe you're suffering from a physical illness or someone you care about deeply is on the verge of death. Maybe you've suffered a loss of a job opportunity. Maybe it's a lack of healing in a family relationship or an unanswered prayer. I want you to think about this. Even Jesus, the Son of God, as he hung on the cross and he was going through extreme suffering, he questioned God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if Jesus as the Son of God could ask a question like that in his suffering, do you think God is going to look down on you and I when we have questions where we don't understand when we're going through times of suffering? God understands. The, the thing that makes the difference, again, is our attitude in our questioning and the reason that we question and I haven't mentioned exactly what that attitude is, but we'll come to it. You see, God sees the big picture, and we don't. During the winter months, when it gets really cold out, you can't do much outside. My wife, Julie, she likes to work uh, puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. And so over the years, this kind of almost has become a tradition, uh, we'll get a thousand, she likes to work the complicated ones, like the thousand piece puzzles, you know. And so literally, we'll get a little card table, or maybe not so little, but anyway, we're going to get a card table, and we put it in the living room, and she'll put a little lamp over there by it and a chair, and she just loves to do that in the evening when she comes home from work or whatever and gets things done. That's her relaxation. She'll sit down, and she'll start working the puzzle. I've helped her some, but uh, I'm not into it as much as she is, so... But here's the thing with those, with those jigsaw puzzles. You have the advantage of seeing the picture that you're trying to put together on the box, right? Uh, when you buy that, that puzzle, the, what it's supposed to look like is on the cover of the box. And so you can set that there, and then as you're sorting through all the pieces, you can begin to sort out where the border is, you know, the, the pieces that have the straight edges on them. Okay, you know, that's the border. And you begin to look at the different colors and, and the different shapes, and then you start putting it together. Well, it's easier when you can see the big picture and you know what the final picture is going to be. But it doesn't work that way for you and I when it comes with God. Because God is not showing us the big picture. Now, he gives us hints in his word and he gives us glimpses of what the big picture is. But he wants you and I, here's the motivation, here's the word. He wants you and I to trust him as we're trying to figure out where to put the puzzle pieces in. Every single day for you and I is like a piece of that jigsaw puzzle. 
and we can't really see the big picture. So what we got to do is take each day and say, okay, God, how is this going to fit in to the picture? And where does this go? And, and how does this fit into the whole picture of my life when it's all said and done and when I'm going on into eternity? What's the, that picture look like for me? And not only for me, but for everyone else. And that's why it's so hard because we don't see the big picture. We're just seeing that one little piece of that day with the color or the shape or whatever it is. We need to make sure that we're seeking God for guidance because he does see the big picture and we need to trust him even with all that we don't understand because he has given us hints and clues and direction in his written word that has lasted for generations and generations It's going through every cultural change imaginable. The Word of God has withstood through pandemics in the past, the bubonic plague, all kinds of things that have happened in world history. God's Word has survived all of that. And He gives us direction today in the midst of these troubles to help us to get through for the future. There's this really strange proverb that's in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 2, and it says this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Let me read that again. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. I really believe what this is teaching us is that God will withhold some things from our knowledge because he wants us to seek it out so that we can, through the experience of that seeking, we can learn things that we would have never learned had God just said, here it is, here's the answer, here's what you're going to do. God knows that we understand best when we go through experience. That's how we learn. And so it may seem cruel to some people, but honestly, it's not. God he, he bears our burdens. He walks with us through our trials. His heart is grieved, but he's doing these things because he knows ultimately he wants to work good out of it. He wants us to learn some things. And so I believe, you think of it in this way. This is kind of a silly illustration, but why do we enjoy doing Easter egg hunts with kids? I mean, we intentionally take these eggs that we collar and then we hide them. Oh, Well, that's mean. Why are you hiding from the kids? Why don't you just put it on a table and let them have the eggs? Because there's something that's kind of joyous about the experience of going out and whether it's looking through the house or looking in the field or in your yard and looking through all that stuff. And then when you find it, there's like this, ah, I discovered this. And so sometimes God allows this even in difficulties of life, even though we go through pain because he wants us on the other side to have that aha moment to realize, ah, Now I understand. Man, that was not pleasant. It was hard. But now, God, I I see it in a different way. That's why Jesus encouraged his disciples to ask, to seek, and to knock. Jesus told us, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. He wants you to be involved in this process of growing spiritually. He's not going to just lay it all out for you. That's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. Faith is putting what you believe into action, and it takes faith to believe in God, and it takes faith to ask the questions. It takes faith to seek Him. It takes faith to knock and to invite Him into your life. But the problem is there are many people in the world that ask for the wrong reasons, 
and they seek for their own self, profit, and gain, and they knock so that a door can be opened and they can gain power. Like some of the religious scholars of Jesus' day, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we see this in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, talking about Jesus here. It says, going on from that place, they, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him. So here's the deal. They were asking Jesus a question, but it wasn't with the right motive. It wasn't to learn. It wasn't to understand better. It was because they wanted to make a point because they believed that they were right and Jesus was wrong and they were going to prove their point to Jesus. They were going to put him in his place. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It sounds like such an innocent question. But Jesus knew that they were wanting to discredit him publicly. And Jesus actually answered their question and healed that person. But here's the point. As a follower of Jesus, have you ever encountered someone that has asked you a question that's put you on the defensive because they wanted to make a point about the fact that they think you're silly for believing in God or they think it's ridiculous that you might actually believe the Bible is true and that the Bible is the word of God. And so they look for ways to try to make their point. I know even uh, going through high school and into college, there were people that knew I was a follower of Jesus. And again, I, I wasn't doing it perfectly, but I wanted to follow him, wanted to serve him. I'd accepted Christ, wanted to grow in my faith. There would be those who, when they found out about it, they wanted to kind of either make fun or make a point. And so they would ask this question, I actually had two different people ask me this question. If God can do anything, then can God make a rock heavier than he can lift? Huh. Oh, I'm so wise. I've asked a question that's going to stump you. Now, it might seem like a legitimate question, but my answer after I thought about it was, why would he want to? I mean, why, why would God want to create a rock heavier than he can lift? If God is really God, that's a foolish thing. And by the way, as you study the Bible, you understand there are some things that God cannot do. Even though he is all-powerful and all-knowing, there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot sin. God cannot tell a lie. So do you realize there are some things that God cannot do? So what's your point? And oh, by the way, I didn't answer this passively aggressively, so <laughs> even that's kind of in my nature. But, th but, but, I, but I said, think about this. If God can do anything, then yes, he actually could make a rock heavier than he could lift. Because for a time, since he's sovereign and overall, he could say, I'm going to predetermine for a time, I'm going to create this rock, and I'm not going to be able to lift that rock for that period of time. But when that period of time is over, I'm then going to be able to lift that rock because I can do everything. There it is. So can God make a rock heavier than he can lift? Yes. He can do whatever he wants. And God works in these predetermined ways in his wisdom. It's why God has determined in his son Jesus Christ, through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, through his death on the cross, to pay for your sins and your sins and your sins. And those of you online and my sins, everyone listening to this, he predetermined that in his son, Christ Jesus, Christ would bear the penalty for our sin, that if we would put our faith in Christ, he will remember our sin no more. He will forgive our sins, and he will no longer hold them against us. 
So you see, there are some things that God can't do, but he, he can't do them because he predetermined what he can and he can't do, and it's all in his great wisdom. So some of our questions that we ask can really be foolish, but again, they're foolish because we ask with the wrong intent. We're thinking that we're so smart, we're so wise, we're going to make our point. And so we see it again in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Oh, they thought they were so smart. They were going to prove that Jesus isn't the Son of God, that, that he's not as smart as they thought he was, that he, he couldn't be from God. So they came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. Oh, listen to how they butter him up. Oh, boy, they're going to flatter him. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. Well, baloney, they did not believe that because they were wanting to try to disprove and discredit him. You teach the way of God in accordance with truth. And here's the question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? And this is the beauty about God and about Christ. He knows our wrong motives. And so sometimes if we ask with the wrong motive... He may ask in a way that answers the question, or in other times, he may answer in a way that you don't think he's going to answer, uh, and this is what he did here. He said, why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. A denarius was a coin, a Roman coin in that day. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is on this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then God said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Because you see, you and I are created in God's image. It's what the scripture says. And though we're fallen in that image, we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, we're still created in the image of God. And that's the point that Jesus was making. He was making the point to those religious leaders, you're all worried about money and paying taxes. And that money was basically formed by the government and given as a means for you to to conduct business. So if, that's, if that is the government's, give it to the government. But you need to be sure to give to God what is God's, and you're made in God's image. So give yourself to God. Give your money to the government. Give yourself to God. Now, let's bring it to today, because re- this, this one hurts, okay? Because we get mad about paying taxes to the IRS. But I would use Jesus' same answer. Take a look at your coins. Take a look at your dollar bills. Whose picture's on there? Why is it they always put president's pictures on there? I mean, could they not, you know, why they could pick all the kind of different images on there, but it's always the presidents and all this. So Jesus would say, well, okay, the picture's on there. Pay, pay to the government what's the government's, but you give to God what is God's. That doesn't change. He would give the same answer today because you and I are created in his image, and we need to be focusing on what we should be doing for God and giving ourselves to him in service and in learning. Just a little bit later in that same passage, uh, we see this in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Now we see a person who has heard Jesus' answer, and now he has a question, but he's asking with the right motive. He's asking in sincerity. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
I remember Pastor Eric talking about this a, a few Sundays ago, a while back in one of his messages. He said, like, why is it, you know, we've got all these different things that we should do, and yet we want to know, well, kind of what can we get away with, and what's the main one we need to do? That's what it kind of sounds like. That's what he's doing. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which is the one I really need to do? But, but it was an honest question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now hold on a second. Jesus never mentioned a word when he answered that question to this man. He never mentioned a word about offerings, burnt offerings and sacrifices. But here's what was happening in this man's mind. Because he asked the question... And because Jesus gave that answer, he was reasoning. This man was reasoning. He was thinking about what Jesus just said. And he's like, Jesus didn't mention a thing about the, the sacrifices and the offerings. All, I mean, all of the things that were to bring the bulls and the rams and the goats and were to slay them and were to sacrifice them and were to share them with the priests. And some of them we can share in. Some of them we offer fully to God as a whole burnt offering. Jesus didn't even mention any of those things. So surely, then what Jesus said is more important even than us offering these sacrifices. Do you follow what I'm saying? He was using reasoning in his question. He heard what Jesus said, and then he came to a good conclusion. Because it's a good conclusion, because listen to what Jesus said. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus is affirming it's okay to ask questions of him if you're really wanting to learn. And then if you really listen to what he is saying and what he teaches, we can get through all of the, of the fluff and we can get to the real heart of the matter. It says, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So what is your heart motive in the questions that you ask God? What is it that you really want to understand? Are you asking because you want to learn or are you asking because you want to make an excuse? God doesn't expect our faith to be mindless. Again, Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be as wool. So now just to kind of bring this sermon into a landing point, I want to go back to those people that ask God questions that I mentioned a, a little bit ago, Jeremiah. God did answer Jeremiah's question, why did the wicked prosper? It was because of the sin in Israel, and it was also because God was ultimately going to bring a proper judgment and a proper restoration in Jeremiah 12, 14, and 15, this is what the Lord says. As for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands, and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. 
God was saying, you got to trust me with what you don't understand right now because you don't know the big picture, and I am looking at all of this, and ultimately there's coming a day when injustice will be dealt with, and those who are walking justly will be rewarded, but you have to be patient, and you have to trust me as you go through this time. God's answer to Joshua when Joshua said, why did we suffer this defeat? Well, God answered that and said, you suffered this setback because there was sin that I told you that you shouldn't be doing and your people are doing it. And so I'm not going to give you the victory until they repent of that sin. So we see this in Joshua 7, 10, and 11. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? See, God asked a question to get Joshua to think. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. And then it goes on in that passage, and God tells them what they can do to turn back to him. God's answer to Job of, God, do you take pleasure in punishing me while you smile on the wicked? This is what God answered to Job in Job 38, verse 2, and verses 4 through 7. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? God was getting on to Job a little bit, saying, Job, I know that you've gone through a really hard time but you have no clue who you're talking to and you have no clue of all that I've done in my plans. He goes on and he says, he asked Job this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? You see, God told Job there was so much more going on in creation that you didn't even realize. It wasn't just the earth and the universe, but all of the angelic beings that I created. All of this was going on, Job, before you ever existed, and yet I had a plan, not only for you, but for all humanity. So I know you don't understand, but you've got to trust me. In fact, Job had realized that. This is Job's response to God. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Well, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job realized that even though he had known about God and he had worshipped God, he hadn't actually seen God and been in his presence. And even through all of his suffering and trials and his anger at God and not understanding how God worked, when he was in God's presence, he realized how much he didn't know. And his attitude then just became one of total humility. And he said, you know, God, you're right. You know so much more than I do. I repent. I'm, I was wrong. But again, it showed his heart. There's something else as we read Job that we see that all through Job's questioning and all that he didn't understand about the suffering he was going through, he always trusted God. He, he kept trusting God. In Job chapter 13, verse 15 through 16, we see this. So Job, again, he's, he's complaining. He's writing about all that he's going through. And then he makes this definitive statement talking about God. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. 
Job was trying to make a point to his friends. He was saying, you all are telling me that I'm going through this suffering because I've done something wrong or because I'm not honoring God and I'm going to defend myself because I'm trying the best I can to follow God. I don't understand why I'm going through this suffering, but I'm telling you this, that even if my life ends, even if God slays me, I'm going to trust him to the very end. I am not going to walk away from him. I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What a declaration of faith. But I will maintain my own ways before him. And then Job said this, he also shall be my salvation. Job ultimately knew that all, if he didn't, all that he didn't understand, and even through his suffering, he knew that God was his only hope. And that he, so he's like, I'm sticking with God. Even though he slay me, I'm going to serve him. And I do believe that in the end, somehow I don't understand it, but God is going to save me. And this was before he understood all about Christ, of course, dying on the cross for our sins, rising again, having a hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But Job was exercising that kind of faith. And that's the key to our questions. It is okay to question God. He welcomes our questions. But he wants us, as we question him, to trust him fully, to keep trusting. In all of David's questioning about how long, God, will you remain silent when I'm crying out to you? This was one of the things that David wrote in the midst of his questioning, Psalm 13, 5. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Joshua, who questioned God, why did we suffer this defeat? Listen to what Joshua says to the people in Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, it's talking about trust, even in the midst of questioning Jeremiah, who questioned God about why do the wicked seem to prosper and I'm trying to follow you and I struggle. This is what Jeremiah proclaimed in Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. Literally meaning I, I read them. I took them into my, my whole being. I consumed your word because I wanted it to be a part of me. Your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name O Lord God of hosts. And then the most ultimate one who questioned Jesus on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus showed us what to do in all of our questioning when we don't understand because when he died, his final words that he spoke before he died was, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, Jesus was showing us that even in our questioning and our suffering and all that we don't understand, we need to trust God because he does love you and he, he wants you to learn and he grieves with you as you go through grieving. And I don't understand all of this. I really don't. But this is the intimate, awesome God that we serve. He cares about you. He's not detached. He's not mean. He's not nasty. He is a God of love and wisdom. And he wants you to learn through the experiences of life. And sometimes it's kind of like that old saying that we can't really enjoy the good days of life until you've gone through the bad days. You can't really enjoy the sunshine unless you're going through the rain and the storms. And God knows ultimately in eternity, if we're going to really enjoy the glories of heaven, then we have to go through some times of suffering here in this life now so that when we get to heaven, we actually begin to understand all that we have. It is worth the wait. So is it okay to question God? It depends. What is your attitude? Listen to Isaiah as he writes this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We're never going to fully understand everything about God. But there are things that we can learn through our questioning. And that's why we believe it's important to go through this series over the next few weeks to talk about questions that we ask of God to help our understanding, but also in the life groups with the video sessions that we've done and in your discussion in your life groups or your classes or whatever that you're going to use this format in, we listen to questions that God or Jesus has for us to make us think so that we can grow in our understanding and our relationship with God. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word um, that has stood the test of time. It stood the test of cultures, and it's, it stood the test of attacks and even attempts to stamp it out and discredit it and get rid of it. And yet your word still thrives, and it is available more now than it ever has been. So, Lord, help us with all that we don't understand. Help us to trust you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness and grace. Thank you, God, for allowing us to ask the questions. And thank you for helping us to understand through our questioning. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that your ways are higher than our ways. And there's no way we're ever going to fully understand it, but we can appreciate it and we, make, we can make use of what we do understand. And you've made one thing clear through your son, Jesus, that you love us immensely. You loved us so much that you would die for us, give your life on the cross of Calvary to pay for the penalty of our sins. Jesus never sinned. He didn't have to die. The wages of sin is death. We have sinned. We deserve to die. He never sinned. He didn't deserve to die. Yet he took that curse upon himself and bore it in his body and three days later conquered that curse and came out of the tomb alive so that we through faith in Christ can have our sins forgiven and have a hope of eternal life. So Lord, thank you for teaching us that. Thank you for showing us that. It's hard for us to fully comprehend, and yet it's something that you have predetermined in your all-powerful, all-wise way. So please help us, Lord, to accept this wonderful gift and this way of salvation, even though we can't fully understand it. If there's anyone listening today to this message and hasn't yet opened their life to Jesus, I pray, Lord Jesus, in this moment, you'll, you'll knock on their heart's door, and they'll feel that tug and They'll sense your spirit speaking and they'll open the door and willingly allow you to come in and ask you to forgive them and transform them and, and help them to live for you. Help us on this journey, Lord. Thank you for calling us into relationship with you and thank you that you've made us family forever through the blood of Jesus. So Lord, we give you this time now and uh, as we sing this song, help us to reflect and think about all that we've heard and help us in our questioning. Uh, to find you and to walk more closely with you.